0: Kind of do a couple things here this morning, Hebrews chapter nine. I got. I want to read something to you. I got an email. Uh, some of you may not know this, but our Sunday school is. Oh, okay, it's just up there. Uh, our Sunday school is uh, uh, live stream. So p- there are people watching our Sunday school last last week. For instance, there were 199 uh, units or homes that were watching. So I don't know how many people. If there are two people in the home, there are 400 people watching besides here. So our Sunday school is live stream. And so every now and then. Somebody on that's in live stream will send me a note and say, aren't you the most wonderful teacher that... No, that hasn't happened yet. But anyway, uh, somebody will send me a note and comment on the lessons. And so last week, uh, this gentleman sent me a note. And sometimes it's not always complimentary. This guy, by the way, he did not... He, he, I can't say he didn't agree with me. He explained something that I didn't explain. And I thought he did an excellent job. And so I thought I'd read to this and I... I, I some of you remember our little controversy. I don't know if it's a controversy. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verses 3 and 4. Whether the altar of incense sounds like it's being placed in the Holy of Holies. Not in the Holy of Place. Everybody with me still remember talking about that. And his explanation of that. Here's the problem. Whether it's his explanation or some commentator's explanation you know, from 200 years ago. That all kind of falls short. It, it, here's his explanation. For I thought you'd like this. Uh, I said, uh, "Hello, Pastor Hunsucker. I watch FBC. Okay, but let me let me blow through all that. Um, he's happy he can do that through remote. Okay, today you discuss Hebrews nine four and the problem." quotation marks. I agree that we shouldn't try to make some hidden significance to every little detail of the tabernacle. So somebody agrees with me. I appreciate that. I always appreciate that. I also agree we should we should rely on the Scripture to find the interpretation to the details. In this case talking about the altar of incense or the incense or the censer I think is the word that's used there in Hebrews 9 uh, when in this case I think the answer to the golden censers in Hebrew 9 verse 4 is not the altar of incense but rather the golden censer used by the priest to carry the coals into to the Holy of Holies. He takes that from Leviticus 19. There was a, uh, some of you have seen like a, a priest carrying a, a swinging censer that has uh, coals and smoke. Okay. And he's saying that was what that was. That was what that was. That was not the altar of incense. And I, by the way, that's one of the explanations that I didn't give you. I said, there's a lot of explanations. Okay. So it appeared to him, it appeared to both to be consistent and accurate as I described. Uh, I did a quick search, and uh, that seems to align with different people. Uh, I'm trying to go through this. Real, and he's talking about what he what looked at at a lexicon and what a difference between a censer and the altar of incense. And I agree there's a, diff, there's a difference. And then he goes on to say, the first definition seems to describe the censer used in Leviticus 16, uh, which, by the way, Leviticus 16 is all about the, is, is the first description we have about what happens in the Holy of Holies. Okay, we'll look at that again this morning, too. And also, uh, Levit- Leviticus 16 and Hebrews 9, and 4, uh, that was used within the second veil. Uh, and I thought this was kind of nice. He said, since I can't participate in t- person, I thought I'd send you a quick note. And then he was very kind to say, please understand, this is not an attempt to correct you or anything you said, uh, and, I, and I didn't take it that way. By the way, uh, I will tell you this as a pastor, I appreciate correction. You won't believe this, but sometimes I'm mistaken. All right. Or sometimes I say th- something I didn't think I said. You ever do that? I said it one way. This happens a lot in our marriage. I said it one way and she goes, well, you said this and this. That's not what I meant. Right? Nah, nah. So if, if I do that, don't feel bad. I, every now and then somebody will apologize to say, hey, you know, you said this. I don't mean to correct you. But no, no, it's okay. If I need correcting, please come and correct me. I don't want to keep saying wrong things. So I didn't take that in the wrong way. But here's what I wrote back, just so you know. Uh, that's actually one, thank you very much, blah, 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 blah. That's actually one of the mo- uh, many explanations I mentioned that I had found. However, even in that interpretation, there's problems. Number one, then why is the altar of incense not mentioned in the description of the holy place? If you, if you say that's the censer, that's not the altar of incense, so you notice then the altar of incense is completely missed out of that passage. So why didn't they mention it? And number two, the censer you mentioned was not located in, in itself in the Holy of Holies, but was only carried in back, in and back out during the Day of Atonement. That was only in there and then that back out. It didn't reside in there. It didn't stay in there. So that is another little problem. Number three, the censer is not mentioned as being made of gold, nor is any other censers in the book of Exodus or in the book of Leviticus. And this one is mentioned as being the golden censer, which the golden you know, uh, altar of incense. So... Um, in fact, the only other golden censer mentioned in Scripture is actually in Revelation chapter 8, and there again it, presents, it represents the prayer of the saints similar to the altar of incense. Now, and I, went, uh, and I said to him, there are many other fairly good explanations for Hebrews 8, 3, and 4, but each one has its own set of problems. And like I've always said, if, infinite man, if finite man could explain everything about an infinite God, he would no longer be finite, and God would no longer be infinite. Uh, but I thought... My point was, there are a lot of explanations, and here's the problem I have with that. If you go into that concept, there's always something there, and I've read, I don't know, probably what I would say, I don't want to exaggerate. I'd say probably there's three good explanations. Every single one of them I can pick apart. You say, which one is right? Like I said last week, don't know. You don't either, by the way. Uh, I hate to tell you, not only do I not know everything the Scripture explains, you don't either. Okay, so get, that's okay. Don't get upset. Don't be worried. People look at stuff like that and say, well, I, I, if I can't understand it, what am I? Hey, you understand enough. Are you doing the stuff you do understand? That's my question. Knowing the difference between the altar and incense and the golden censer and if which was what was that is not going to change your life. But obeying the Holy Spirit and how he, you, how he commands you to practically live, when you get that done, then we'll work on the altar of incense, Right? Uh, That's usually what I, that's my grandchildren explanation (laughs) because they always ask me hard questions and I say, look, you even doing half the stuff you know you do? Well, no. Why don't you get that right and we'll talk about deeper stuff later on. Amen? In fact, I believe this. Uh, I'm not trying to bail out of something, but I believe this. The closer I am walking to the practical truth that I knew, the theological understanding that I have, the more understanding I'll have of the things that I don't know because the Holy Spirit is more with me does that make sense? You, you, some of you are shaking your head. I think it's just so I'll go on. I don't know that you technically agree. Okay, so uh, look, look again. We're, we're still in Hebrews chapter six, I mean chapter nine. Now, what, verses one through five, that division talks about the, uh, the tabernacle, right? It talks about the furniture in the tabernacle. We kind of covered that. When you get to the next little section there, I think it's verses six through 10. Yeah, verses six through 10. Now it's gonna talk about what happens on the day of atonement. Now let me just say, <sighs> That's a lot of stuff. There's more to the Day of Atonement. You can go back to Leviticus, uh, what is it, 16 I said? Yeah, Leviticus 16, uh, Leviticus 23. Uh, I wrote it down this morning. Uh, Numbers 29. And you can get detailed explanation of that day. The Day of Atonement was the biggest day in the Hebrew year. They call it Yom Kippur, right? That, today, we, that's what we say. Uh, so understand, that, that. by the way, that phrase just means covering, a covering. And if you understand a little bit about that Hebrew theology, then that makes good sense. So when you talk about it, we could go into whew, the next 13 weeks talking about just the Day of Atonement and everything, whether, whether it was the bull or whether it was the goat and the scapegoat. Or I mean, there's a wow. And uh, how the blood was sprinkled, you know, seven times. And the whole, I mean, if you want to get into stuff, That's more a a study for the book of Exodus, Uh, but wow, it is amazing. If you do a deep dive into that kind of stuff, all that's going to do is assure you that the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because there's no way, there's no way that, that, that the Hebrews could have written that by themselves and made everything point to Christ like it did. There's no way. It had to be inspired of God. And so uh, all of those things uh, we could deep dive in. But let's look at real quickly the Day of Atonement, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. It says this, Now when these things were thus ordained, he's literally talking about the the ordination in Exodus chapter 16 when God said, This is what you will do. Okay? Uh, So, and when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always in the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. In other words, they did that on a regular daily basis. Every day the priest would be in the holy place, right, accomplishing the service of God. And then he goes on to say, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year. Now, that's on one day. That's not one time because there's a debate whether he went into the Holy of Holies three times that day or two times that day. It's a really complicated deal. I'll explain it to you later. But, it, it, but it, he's not talking about once only once. He's talking about only one day. You still with me? Okay, so it's kind of complicated, so you have to understand it. So the high priest went along once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of his people. Uh, Remember what, some of you remember the whole concept here. What is he doing when he's talking about the tabernacle? He's talking about Christ, and he's not talking about, he does, it's a brilliant thing, and it's obviously the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, here is, he compares the two. Here's, Here's the tabernacle. Here's Christ. He compares the two, and then he turns around and contrasts the two. You with me? In other words, here's why they're alike, but here's why this is better. You, you still with me? Whole book of Hebrews, he's doing this. He just keeps hammering it. And the Jews of his day were probably all sitting there. I, I'd love to, wouldn't you love to been there when they, in one of those churches like in Jerusalem when they read this and the light's coming on and they're going, what? what? Oh, I mean, it had to be, Wow. I I don't know how long you've been saved. I've been saved 50 years. Last year, I got saved in 1977. uh, 1977. 1974. Graduated from Bible college in 77. Uh, I got saved in 19... Actually, it's 1973 now that I think about it. Thank you. Uh, Becky's going... She's shaking her head. No, you weren't. Uh, I was saved in 1973. And I remember that whole next year how many times I was sitting in church... And the pastor would say something. You guys remember this? Maybe you still do it. pastor would say something in the Bible and I'd go, oh, wow. Wow. I didn't know that. I never heard that before. Everything was like new, a revelation. And I was saved for a year and then I surrendered the ministry, went to Bible college, and it happened all over again. And Bible college, I, yeah, I know I irritated people. I feel bad now. I look back. We had classes of two and three hundred students back in those days, uh, preacher boys, you know, all in class. And they most of them came from Christian homes or Christian and they went to a Christian school. And so some basics and the, the, the professor would say something and there'd be that one lone hand in the back going, what? What are you talking about? Where's that in the Bible? And, you know, he'd have to answer my question. Hey, I was paying for an education. I was going to get one. And so, you know, uh, th- I think that's not bad. Uh, so I, I can imagine what's going on as you're thinking through this. So he goes in the second once uh, every year. And the contrast here, by the way, uh, between the old and the new is what? The priest had to offer offerings not only for the people, which that would apply to. Would you not say that, that, that you can see the correlation there for J- him and Jesus Christ, right? But notice what it says in there. For himself and the people. Why is Christ better? Think about it. Say it. Somebody tell me. Go ahead, Mike, I can hear you, but I can't hear you. Say it loud. Yeah, Christ offered a sacrifice for the people. Did he have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins? No, but the priest did. And there's the, contra- there's the comparison and then the contrast. You with me? You, you see how, what he's doing here? It, it's a beautiful picture if you think about it. Okay, so verse 80 says the Holy Ghost signifying... That the way into the holiest of holies, uh, the holy, I'm sorry, into the holiest of all, was not yet made manifest, while at the first tabernacle was yet standing. In other words, the priest was insufficient to make the sacrifice. It was just a covering. It did not atone. It did not. It did not do away with sin. It just atoned for sin. It just covered it for a while. Why is Christ better? Come on, Hebrews chapter 10. If you read ahead, why is it better? One sacrifice for all never to be it's all done right so it's similar in that he made a sacrifice but the sacrifice is better you are getting it now? I mean, every verse you read, there's this comparison and a contrast. And a comparison and a contrast. And as you read through it, it begins to make a lot of sense really fast. Okay? So verse 9. Which was a figure or an example or a pattern, whatever you want, word you want to use there, for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Okay. So the high priest... Uh, The high priest of Israel, there was a lot, by the way, goes into uh, the high priest going in for the Day of Atonement. I mean, a lot of stuff happened here. Uh, Everything all the way down to changing his priestly robes. You remember all the priestly robes and the garment and the ephod and the pomegranates and the whole, some of you remember studying through that. Okay, all that went. On the Day of Atonement, he had to go wash himself, get rid of all of that, and put on just a pure white robe. To represent what? Sinlessness. Was he sinless? No. That's the comparison. So what's the contrast? Yeah, Christ didn't have to do it. Christ was sinless. Y- you got it? So as you read through this, make sure you're, you're doing that. You, it really, once you get those two concepts in your head, the comparison and the contrast, the compar- you will see it, it makes such clear things. I was going through this uh, last night. I uh, was sitting on the couch and I was, and I, I mean, I actually, in my mind, I said the words, amen and amen. Uh, I don't, I don't know why, it's just when you study it, you've got to go, wow, look what God did. Isn't this amazing? And yet I try to put myself again back in the, the Hebrews that were scattered abroad and the different churches that heard this message. I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm like, amen and amen. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Goodness gracious, this had to be a boom, blow the doors off message. You know, every now and then Pastor Monty will do that for me. He'll have a message and I'll be just like, whoa. Whoa that, was, whoa, that was deep. And then I go home and my brain just continues running over how I can steal it and make it sound like it was my message. Don't laugh. Every pastor does it. That's just, you know, uh, that's what, that's what, it all came from the book, right? Right? So I'm not stealing, it's not, anyway, you get the idea. All right, so look at verse 10 now. Uh, I'm, let me finish 9 and 10 together. Which was a figure for them to the time present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertained to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers, washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Until Christ came, it was just a figure. It was just pointing to something. Exactly like we got the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, you can see this stuff up here. What does that do? What's the point of the, the, what is the, point of the Lord's Supper or communion, whichever word you want to use. What is, it, what is the point of it? It's pointing back to something, right? It's an example of the death. I mean, it's an example of the shed blood in the body of Christ broken for us, right? You, you get it. We do it, it's point, it. It doesn't save us. It didn't give us any extra grace. It is an example to show what we believe. Okay, in Old Testament, you're doing just the opposite, right? Everything's pointing to something. Everything, like I've always said, I used to tell kids this all the time in my youth department. You just put, Christ, you just put the cross in the middle of the Bible and you're good. Everything on this side points to the cross. Everything on that side points to the cross, right? The cross and the second coming. Uh, but if you understand that, you won't have any problem with the Bible. I don't like reading the Old Testament. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense because you don't want to study it. All right, well, you can amen that. It's true. You don't, it's, it's, it's tough sometimes. But once you study it, once you start getting the pictures, you kind of really go, wow. Amen? Okay, so it's pretty obvious once you see it. Okay, so now, here's what I want to do. Let's go back. You just, read, you just read what he's talking about in Hebrews, right? So now I want you to go back to Exodus. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 16. Now watch what happens if, whoops, that's the wrong book. For some reason I stopped in, there we go. Yeah. No, Leviticus 16. I, say, I keep saying Exodus. I had it right. Leviticus 16. Don't ask me why. Leviticus 16, flip there, because you're going to run and read this. Now, I want you to look at, now, what you're looking at in Hebrews is him taking the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and he's explaining why they did it. In chapter 16 is the institution of the Day of Atonement. Okay? That's all that, what you're going to read in chapter 16 is all the Hebrews knew up until the book of Hebrews was written, and that letter came to those churches. This is, all, this is how they understood it. Look at, It's the same thing, but they, don't get the, they didn't get the figure. They didn't get the pattern. They don't get the example. Chapter 16, uh, verse one, and the Lord spoke unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, which they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron, <coughs> excuse me, thy brother, that he, may, that he come not at all times of the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. In other words, you don't, you don't just come in on your own, right? There's a purpose for coming in. You, don't just, you just don't approach the throne of God. You couldn't do that then. You know why? Why couldn't you approach the throne of God then? You're not perfectly righteous. You know why you can pray to God now? If you're, if you're saved, you know why you can pray to God? Through Christ you are perfectly righteous. The blood of Christ has been applied to me and his righteousness has been put on my account. Romans chapter four, five, and six, right? I can, I, can, I can go in His presence now. I don't need that. I, I, the only mediator I need is Jesus Christ, and I already have Him. Amen? Uh, so, again, I, 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 if I stop and preach on every verse, throw something at me, okay? Because we'll never get this done. Okay, uh, so uh, verse 3. Uh, thus, uh, thus shall Aaron come in the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering... Uh, he shall put on the holy linen cloak and he shall have linen breeches upon his flesh and he shall be girded with a linen girdle and uh, with the linen miter He shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats for a sin offering one for, one, and one ram for a burnt offering. Can you imagine this being our church service? You, you do understand this was their service, Right? You're not just reading Old Testament, you're reading uh, Hebrew history. This is how they had a service before the Lord, okay? And he shall take of the congregation, uh, verse six, and Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for, who's, who's the bullock for? Himself. Uh, if we do a compare and contrast, you already know where we're going, right? All right, so you get it now, okay? It, how many of you can see, just the initial reading, how many of you see what he's talking about in Hebrews six, and how the Jews would get it. You with me? They know, they, I, 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 they know Leviticus, right? They know the law. Boy, some of them knew it. Every jot and every little tilt. They got it. But what they didn't get was why it was there. And now, so to speak, the light comes on. Okay, so we're still in verse six, Leviticus uh, 16, verse 6. Okay, and Aaron shall offer his bullet for the sin offering, which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and for his house. He has to do that before he can enter in. Christ did not have to do that. And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for a lot for the scapegoat. Boy, there's some interesting theology. Okay. Uh, you ever, I mean, have you ever heard that term? We've heard it. We use it sometimes in our modern English. You know, he's the scapegoat. You know, he's the one we put the blame on. Okay. And that comes from this passage of scripture, that's where that, that phrase comes from. So Aaron shall bring the goat upon the Lord, uh, which the Lord's lot fell upon and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell on, to be a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and let, and let him uh, go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Okay, boy, if I wanna preach this, it, there's a lot of controversy about uh, the scapegoat and I'm not gonna, we're not, we're not preaching through Leviticus this morning. But my point in reading this is to show you what. Two words. What's what's the two words? I gave you two words earlier. You you should have them now. It's not that complicated. They Both start with C. Compare and contrast. There's a figurative example in Old Testament law to show you who Christ is. But there's a contrast in the New Testament to say, but he's so much better. You get it? Okay, now we're not going to read, if you want to read that whole chapter and it goes on and on and on uh, about the service, uh, that's a great chapter. Now let me make a recommendation, okay? Uh, and I, don't re- I rarely do this. A couple of little books, okay? You can find this one. How many of you like J. Vernon McGee? Jay Vernon McGee. <laughs> this is J. Vernon McGee and uh, the tabernacle and God's portrait of Christ in the wilderness. How's that, pretty close? Uh, I, love, I love McGee's voice. If you ever hear his voice, you don't mistake him for anybody else. Okay, uh, He has a little book called The Tabernacle, God's Portrait of Christ. It's a really good book. All he does in this book is go through every piece of furniture in the tabernacle and, under, and help you to see how everything pointed to Christ. Do I agree with Dr. McGee on every split little? No. But most of it, yes. I'd say 90 to 95% of what he says, really good. So if you want to do a deep dive into the furnishing, the building of the tabernacle, this is a good little book. I don't know, uh, this is the last printing I know of. This was in 1975. Uh, I was fortunate uh, when, some of you may not know, uh, some of you know Warren Defoe, but his dad, uh, when I first went to Eagledale, his dad was still alive, still there. When he died, uh, Pastor Defoe went in and took, he had, man, he'd talk about a library. It looked like a library. He had a library, his son, Warren Defoe, took a lot of his books and Mrs. Defoe, uh, the mother, not not Jan, (laughs) let's get confusing, too many Defoes. told me, walked in my office one day and said, whatever's left in that office, if you like it, take it. I got some good stuff, man. I mean, from the 40s, the 50s, real fundamental Christian writing. This is a sixth printing in 1975. I don't know when the first printing was. But if you, it's just called The Tabernacle God's Portrait of Christ. Uh, look it up, uh, J. Vernon McGee. Or you can just download, pastors mentioned this before, you can download Dr. McGee's um, app. And you can go through the whole Bible with him. Uh, it's a great, I had it on this morning and Becky came down the hall and she looked at me and I said, you know whose voice that is, don't you? It's so hard to miss. But I would recommend you, you get that. Now, here's another one that I recommend highly. Uh, again, do I agree with everything? No. This one I'd say I agree with 85%. Uh, but it's a good book. It is, uh, it's called the Feast of the Lord, okay? God's prophetic calendar from Calvary to the kingdom. And it basically goes through all the Hebrew feasts, okay? And it kind of gives you an explanation where we're talking about the unleavened, Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast, Feast of the Fifth Month, the Feast of Dedication, and the Feast of Lots, the Year of Jubilee, and then other things. So it goes through uh, what the Hebrews did in the Old Testament, and what the Hebrews do today, okay? And what each one, if you want to know more about, like Hanukkah, okay? Uh, you'll, you'll read that in here. I'd like to know what, that, what they do and why they do that. Excellent explanation. Uh, some of the lines he draws, I don't technically agree with. His line on the scapegoat, I don't agree with, uh, but that's, you'll have to read it for yourself. I'm like, no, no, I don't, mm-mm, that's not, nope, nope. You ever do that? That's how I read books. Uh, my son has always told me, uh, someday when, he, when I'm gone and he gets my library, he's just going to read the underlying parts. Like he'd read all, he could read books real fast. well Grandpa thought that, dad thought that was important. I'll read that. Dad didn't agree with that. I don't agree. Uh, that's cheating. Uh, but uh, yeah, I write in books. I wrote in this book and there's right beside that one or two paragraphs where he talks about the scapegoat. I put a big parentheses and then I put a big question mark. I think it's question mark and circled that like four times. So if somebody's reading my book, I want to know. I don't know about that. That's basically what I'm saying. But it's called the Feast of the Lord. The Feast of the Lord. If you're writing that down, uh, there's two authors: Ken, uh, Kevin. I'm sorry, Kevin Howard. Kevin Howard. That would probably be enough to get it for you. Uh, Kevin Howard and Martin Marvin Rosenthal. Some of you, some of you immediately went, "Hey, that's a Jewish name." Yeah yeah that's the, that's the concept people okay uh, so uh, a good book uh, I, I my initial thought this morning was I was going to go here and read a lot of this to you about the day of atonement, but that would take me about an hour because it's really good, and it would only take me probably fifteen minutes, ten fifteen minutes to read it, but I cannot read it without commenting and it's my nature, okay? So I would definitely, if, if, you, if you have opportunity, uh, those are two good books. If you want to do some study on your own, okay? Uh, some of you are probably sitting here and saying, "Well, well, man, you got us in Leviticus, you got us interested, and now you're going back. Because we're in Hebrews, okay? I, could, I, can, I can connect Le, uh, Leviticus, I can connect Numbers, I can connect Exodus to, this, to the book of Hebrews. It's not that hard, right? And we'd have to say, we, you'd think I'd take a long time if we did that? We'll never get through this, okay? But you're getting, how many of you say, at least I get the idea of, con- uh, of, com- uh, of uh, uh, comparison and contrast. At least I can see that now, and I can see what he's doing, whether he's talking about Moses, or whether he's talking about Abraham, or whether he's talking about Aaron, or whether he's talking about the angels, or the Levitical system, or the high, you, you, you see what he's done? Isn't it? How, how many of you get that? You say, oh, I get that. that if you don't I, don't, I don't know how. Some of you are like, shut up, Brother Morrison, move on. But I want to make sure you get it. Okay, so now let me go back to... Uh, I, I got so many things. So I'm going to go back to your notes. If you have your notes, uh, go to page 82 in your notes, okay? Page 82, 82, okay? Uh, so I'm going to give you a couple things in... in uh, uh, just a couple things in the last part. We, we did up the top that whole thing about the design. We talked a little bit about uh, the fact that you can't connect everything to one thing. Uh, okay, so we got all that. Look at C. You see where I'm at? Page 82, C. Everybody with me? Okay, so notice... Watch what happens here. Surprise, surprise. He's going to compare and contrast. The, the building itself. So the apostle points out that the fact, this is verses six and seven, the apostle points out the fact that the only, only priest could minister in the court and the holy place and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and then only one day of the year itself. So, uh, the ordinary Israelite could only come to the gate of the tabernacle court. The priest and the Levites might enter the court and none but the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. Uh, so there's this separation that can never occur. That's not true today. Amen? Amen? Okay, Uh, where am I at? Uh, There was a wondrous beauty in the tabernacle in its order of worship, but it's beauty in which the common man was barred from the inner presence of God. Jesus Christ took the barrier away and opened wide the way uh, to God's presence for every man. So there's the comparison. Here's the tabernacle. Here's the new tabernacle in heaven. You couldn't enter here. You can enter here. Amen? Aren't you glad you had that kind of access? And that's all he's going to do in the rest of this chapter. Uh, next paragraph. The veil between man and God remained, uh, reminded the people that the one way to God's presence had not yet been open. Not yet. When did, that, when did that change? You know, when, when did it change? Okay, this is not a trick question. When did that change? Changed with the cross, right? What happened to the veil of the, to the temple? Symbolically, everything in the Old Testament was symbolic. Symbolically, symbolically. Why am I not saying that right? As a symbol uh, <laughs> to the people, right? The veil of the temple is rent and train, train. You have access. No, now, not only can the high priest, not only can the priest, but every believer now has what we call theologically the priesthood of the believer. I can enter right into his presence. Amen? That, that's not just, by the way, a Baptist doctrine. That should be, uh, that, that's a Bible doctrine, okay? Uh, some people disagree with on, on that, uh, and I'm not gonna go into who and where, but you get the idea. Verse nine says that while the veil remained, there would still be two parts to the tabernacle, a symbol, a figure of the relationship between Israel and God. They're still separated. Their sin has been covered, but not d- d- done away with. When Christ died, the veil was torn, and the need for an er- earthly sanctuary was now abolished. Now, the temple kept on after that, Right? What happened to the temple? How long do you know that the temple kept on after, let's say, we don't know the exact date, but I'm going to say uh, somewhere around, you know, Christ was born somewhere around 3 uh, A.D., 33 years. So 30 A.D., somewhere in there. So how long now? There's still a temple. They're still practicing. You do know that after Christ's death, not every Jew went, oh, we we don't have to go to the temple. That didn't happen. Okay. That's what these epistles are being written for. 70 A.D. what happens? What? Speak. The temple was, was, thank you. It's real simple. The temple was demolished. Uh, And so now there is no physical temple. Everything has changed. All of this is happening almost at the same time the book of Hebrews is being written. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, human timing. You know, us humans, we figured that all out. No way. It, it, there's no explanation. Seriously, I used to say this all the time. There's no explanation for this book. There's a lot of things in Christianity you can explain away, right? But there's no explanation for this book and let, except for the simple truth this is God's inspired word. That's the only thing you, you don't have. If you, the more you study it, the more you're like, wow. There's no way that could have happened. Nobody they could have known. Uh, it was only temporary. That's D. You see that? We're not going to go. I just kind of covered that. Then look at the next thing. The sacrifice of the early tabernacle could not make anyone perfect. You'll see that more uh, as we get to Hebrews chapter 10, right? You, you'll notice that in Hebrews, Hebrews. chapter 10 makes it very obvious. This is one of the major themes in chapter 10. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Because that's not sinless blood, that's not perfect blood. That's only an example of what's to come. Can I tell you something? The juice, the juice in here does not take away your sin. Nor does, if the blood of a bull doesn't, then the juice of a grape does not. Understood that? It's symbolic of something. It is not the something, right? It stands for something, it not is. A, there, there are religions, and I think you know many of them teach that this actually becomes, during uh, the ceremony, the blood and the body of Christ. It is not. It represents, symbolically, the blood and the body of Christ. It does not, um, it does not give you any, further, any more grace or make you any more righteous. Amen? Well... The Jews at this point, reading this, are going, oh, so that's not what makes us righteous? No, your faith in that is what makes you righteous. Their faith looked forward, our faith looks backwards. Amen? You getting it now? Okay, it's it's really not as complicated as we try to make it. Uh, Go back last last page here and see. We're actually going to be on section two in your notes uh, next week. I actually... I'm going to get there. Okay, so one last thing. Day after day, the priest offered the same sacrifices. The blood covered sin, but could never wash it away. Nor could the blood of animals change the hearts or consciousness of the worshipers. Did you know that? Think about that for a second. Did that change them in any way? No. Does this change you in any way? No, you, you do that, but what you're supposed to do when we take the Lord's Supper, you do that before you take this. In remembrance of Him, I'm thinking about him and I'm thinking about his grace and I'm thinking about his mercy and I'm thinking about what he did for me and because of that I want to forget I want to repent of my sin and I want to get it right. I do that many times sitting in my seat right back there right before the, yeah right before I pray. I start scanning my mind is there anything lord between me and you? I want to make sure that's right. This did not take it away. The faith in his promises took it away. The faith in the savior who died and shed his blood, that took it away. This just reminds me of that. What is he saying? Same thing to the Hebrews. That blood did never, ta- it never took away sin. Right? It just pointed to one who would. Pretty simple, right? Keep reading and I'll be through. Uh, second paragraph. I'm sorry, middle part of that paragraph. These were carnal ordinances. That's a great word by the way, great phrase. That is ceremonies that dealt with the externals, not the internal. What does carnal mean? What are we talking about? What is carnal? These are the physical ordinances. Okay, they were temporary acts awaiting a full revelation of the grace of God in Jesus Christ at the cross. The temple worship with its multitudinous sacrifices could not make men perfect, or, compete in the, or complete in the sense that sin was put away. Finally, the perfect or completed work of redemption awaited the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. Meanwhile, in the old covenant provision, uh, in the old covenant provision, God was receiving men. Saving men in response to their faith in him in the view of a coming redeemer and on the grounds of a future sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Looking forward to what was to come. Now we look back. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, seriously, you cannot. If you're a Christian, and you've been saved any time and you read through this and you don't get anything out of it. Man, what in the world is wrong with you? If you don't see like they should have seen, hey, we have a better savior. We have we have it all. I mean, we're so blessed. It's amazing. And the Hebrews, man, I would love to... Like I said, I, wish, I hope in heaven we can go back and see things. I want to see Goliath fall down. Let's just be honest. I'm a man. I want to see this. How many other men? You know, I want to see that song. Yow, and watch him go down. And yes, I do want to see David jump up on his chest, grab his own sword. Well, you know the rest of it. I want to see... I, I don't know if we love it, but I, stuff like this, I really do want to see. I want to be... I want to have a seat in a church, maybe in Jerusalem, maybe in, uh, other, where other Hebrews were, and sitting in the back and see their faces when this is read. You know there were some people going, wow. By the way, shouldn't we? Amen? Lord, we just pray that you'll continue to do work in our hearts and lives. I know that there's a, a lot, a lot of theology here and a lot of things that, uh, if we don't take the time to see them, uh, we're missing the point. Just like the Hebrews in their day missed the point. Help us, Lord, not to do that, but to see Christ in it all. We're so thankful for Him and what He's done in our lives. I pray, Lord, that You'll help us to be a living testimony of that truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.